Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for you today is that the message you hear will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. All right, are you ready to jump into the into the Word this morning? Amen. Amen. I'm excited. We are actually, we, we're already five chapters deep into, into Mark, and uh, we are going to be jumping into chapter six this morning, looking at the gospel. And really, we're, we're in the home stretch uh, of, this, of this particular uh, portion of Mark. We're going to be working through the, the first eight chapters, and then we'll be taking a break and going into some other things. And then we'll go back into the end of Mark chapters 9 through 16 next year. So hopefully my prayer is that you've been enjoying this, that you've been getting something out of this, and that when you approach the gospel or any, any, uh, any book in the Bible, that you are, you're reading it with expectation. My, my prayer is that when you're opening up the word for yourself, that you're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you, even deeper understanding and deeper knowledge that he wants to reveal to you. And hopefully uh, as we've been going through Mark, you, it's given you a taste of, of that. And so we're jumping into chapter 6 this morning, and, and uh, chapter 6 is, is really rich. It's a, it has a ton of big and powerful stories about Jesus in it. It's pretty lengthy. It's a lengthy chapter, and so we won't be able to go over the entire, the entire chapter verse by verse this morning. So I would encourage you on your own this week to read through it and to, uh, as we go through it, uh, on your own this week that you would that you would ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you and see uh, what Jesus is wanting to reveal to you personally. So in chapter six, I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. Chapter six, in chapter six, we have uh, Jesus sending out the 12 disciples to heal the sick, cast out demons and to call people to repentance. He's like, hey, you're my ambassadors. So go out. He sends them out. And uh, powerful things happen when he's there. Also in chapter 6, we see Jesus feed the 5,000 and also heal the sick at um, Gennesaret. Sorry, sometimes I forget how to pronounce Bible words. So uh, other pastors just go, and then you just, whatever, and they move right on. But I'm going to really try to pronounce them, Gennesaret. All right. So uh, also in chapter 6, we get this lengthy explanation of how John the Baptist dies beheaded by Herod. So make sure that you read all through that as well. But I want to really look at probably uh, one of the most powerful stories and one of the most well-known stories in uh, in this gospel. And uh, and I think as uh, as followers of Jesus, or even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably know this one thing about what Jesus did. If you talk to anybody in, in the world, whether they are a follower of Jesus or not, they would say that they know one thing that Jesus did was that he walked on water. Everybody knows that Jesus walked on water, right? It's, it's prevalent even in pop culture today. There's ads, there's commercials selling apparel. There's uh, ads for different things like, hey, you don't need to walk on water to buy Geico insurance, right? There's there's uh, all kinds of references to this, and everybody knows this. In fact, um, I hopefully, do we have uh, that image I sent you? Yeah? Uh, in fact, they, uh, recently there's a shoe company that thought about, um, about doing this collaboration. You know, shoe companies are now doing collaborations like Adidas with like Top Ramen. I don't, like, I don't understand why they would do that, but um, if you want Top Ramen Adidas shoes, you can go out and get them, right? So this one shoe company was like, I wonder what a collaboration would look like if Nike collaborated with Jesus. And so they made these shoes called Jesus Shoes, and uh, they have been injected into that soul uh, holy water from the Jordan River 
blessed by a priest so that you can say you walk on water like Jesus. Uh, it's been imprinted there on the side there that says Matthew 14, 25. So in Matthew's gospel, it talks about Jesus walking water in chapter 14. They put that there. They got the cru crucifix there. And you see the red, red little drop on the tongue. That's to symbolize the blood of Jesus. And so they made these shoes. And, and, and they, thought it, they did it kind of as a joke to kind of make fun of how shoe companies are collaborating with a bunch of different random companies and things. But these shoes are selling like crazy. They sold out immediately. They sold them for $1,400. And they're currently right now being sold. For those who bought them initially, they're selling for $4,000. $4,000, y'all, to walk on water. Man, I can, I'll go out right now. Any shoe you want, I'll inject it with the water from my water hose. I will bless it. If you will give us $4,000 for the church ministry, I'll do, you know, whatever. That's crazy, right? But culture knows that Jesus walked on water. In fact, I was reading the article about these shoes when they made them up, and one of the collaborators said, I'm Jewish, but the only thing I know is that Jesus walked on water. The only thing I know about Jesus is that Jesus walked on water. And so I think as followers of Christ, there's something very significant about this story of Jesus walking on the water that we need to stop and evaluate a little deeper. We need to get a little bit more insight about what's the big, big deal about Jesus walking in water because it separates him from a ton of other things in, in the world. People may not even know that he died on the cross, but they know that he walked on water. And so we need to look at what this means for us as followers because this story reveals so much more about Jesus than uh, that the world needs to know. And if, if we're supposed to be the ones who are revealing Christ to people as Christ ambassadors as people who represent Jesus in the world, then maybe we need to understand what, the, what, what Mark is trying to reveal to us in this story about, about Jesus. So before we jump into the text, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you, God, that you are here in our midst this morning. We know that you're everywhere at all times, but we thank you for allowing us to sense your presence here. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and reveal your word to us that is one thing that you love to do, is to reveal your word and help us to know who Jesus is and to live like Jesus. So we ask that you would do it now, through and by your word. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 6 begins with Jesus actually returning to his hometown of Nazareth. And uh, he's, he's with his closest people, the people that he grew up with. And again, we recognize throughout Mark that the ones that are even the closest to Jesus don't recognize who he is. Right? So in, in verse 2, we're going to pick up in verse 2, and it says, On the Sabbath day he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What, uh, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Listen to this, verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Jose and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Here's one thing that I want to point out uh, in this section, and it says it in verse 3. It says, is, not, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Uh, in, in that culture, in that day, if someone was referred to not by their father, but by their mother, it was an insult. It was as if to say, you're an illegitimate child because we don't know who your father is. We know who your mother is because we know where you came from, but we don't know who your father is. So in his own hometown... They were saying, hey, we know what happened. We know that Mary got pregnant before Joseph and then before they got married. Even though, Jesus, even though Joseph went on and married her, 
The, it's a small town. It's like 300, 500 people. Man, you think Madeira is small, 80,000 people, and everybody knows your business. Can you imagine? 500 people. Half of them are related to you, right? And they're like, oh, he's a son, he's a son of a Mary, right? So it's an insult. You know, in Mark's gospel, he never actually talks about the virgin birth, but here he's alluding to it because the people that were closest to him didn't even believe that Joseph was his father. So he's saying Jesus had another father, and they don't know who that father is. And, and they didn't know who Jesus was or where he came from. Mark was saying they don't know, they don't know who, who Jesus is, even though he's in their family and lived amongst them and grew up with them. He didn't recognize them. They didn't recognize him. They didn't know his father. They didn't know that the father of all creation, the, the creator of all things, was the God and the father of Jesus. And so it connects us back to that story. And in his hometown, they knew it. They, they couldn't hide the fact that uh, Mary was pregnant before her and Joseph got married. And so regardless, of, it's, it, it, it illustrates that the, the idea that the people still didn't recognize who Jesus was. And everything that Jesus does in chapter 6 is actually a nod to how God interacted with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. So everything that we're going to see here in chapter 6 is, is, uh, is going back and connecting to how God moved and re revealed himself and responded to his people in the Old Testament. And because, because Mark wants to reveal this to us, he lays this all out for us. And it even connects here, the very first portion where he sends out his 12 apostles, his called ones, his ambassadors. It, 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 it signifies the original purpose of Israel when God said that you're going to be a, a, a holy people and you're going to minister to all nations. He said there are 12 tribes that are going to minister to all the nations of the world. And they didn't quite do that right. They didn't quite get it right. But so Jesus now sends out 12 disciples, 12 apostles to minister to the region and represent him. So there's a, a little nod, right? A little connection there back to the Old Testament. And then he sits down, he feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness where the people are hungry and they had no resources for food for themselves. So Jesus provides food for them. And it resembles how God, when, he, when the people were wandering in the desert for 40 years, they let, he, he delivered them out of Egypt, but they didn't, they didn't go into the promised land that they wandered and God fed them manna from heaven, the bread from heaven, and now the bread of life, who is Jesus, is feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness. And it's just a little nod back to the Old Testament saying, yeah, hey, do you remember? Uh, I'm the God who is among you, and I, I am doing what God did in the Old Testament. I'm doing it now today. Just a little kind of glimpse. He was trying to reveal something to the people when he did that. And even in the last story in chapter 6, we see Jesus healing the people of Gennesaret. I did it. Thank you. Gennesaret, it mean, you know what that mean, That word means? It means the garden of the prince because it was a, a, a lush land uh, that, that, had, that just grew beautiful uh, fruits and vegetables. And it reminds me of a little garden at the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve, they walked with God and, and they had healing and health and life that was flowing to them abundantly. And Jesus, it says that they brought the sick to him and he healed all that came to him and giving them life and hope and abundance and goodness. And just a little nod, right, to the Old Testament. Jesus is revealing, saying, hey, I'm the God that was then. I am now. I am the Son. God the Father, God the Son, pouring out his Holy Spirit. Just a little hello to that. And now it jumps us, drives us into verse 45. And it says, immediately, and this is immediately after he feeds the 5,000, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, 
while he dismissed the crowd. Here's an interesting note, I think, that Jesus sends his disciples to the other side of the lake. He tells them to meet them at Bethsaida. And it reminds me, again, of an Old Testament story when the people of Israel are going into the promised land, but God is upset with them. So he tells Moses, you go ahead and go across the Jordan and you'll take the victory, but I'm not going to go with you. Right. And Moses was like, no way. We are not doing that. If you don't go, we don't go. Right. The disciples, though, Jesus like, go ahead and do the other side. I'll meet you there. They're like, "Okay, cool. Peace. We'll see you later. We're going to get in the boat. They didn't quite get the, the little nod to the Old Testament, what Jesus was trying to say, because I wonder, I looked at the lake that they were crossing, and it's six miles across, and I wondered, did they think, well, Jesus is just going to catch another boat, or he'll just walk? Like, what did they think, how he was going to meet them on the other side? They didn't care. They're like, sweet, whatever. We get off early. We don't have to clean up. We don't even got to pick up the chairs, right? We don't have to vacuum. We out, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. When things are over at church, you're like, okay, cool. See you later, Pastor. You have a great day. Right, that's what the disciples were doing with Jesus. They said, he said, get onto the other boat. Get into the boat. Go to the other side. They're like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll, I don't know how you're going to get there, but that's your own business. You know, you're, you're in charge of stuff, so whatever. So they, they get in the boat, and they begin to cross over, and he sends them to Bethsaida. Bethsaida means house of fishing, house of hunting. It means that to... Most translations have it as the house of fishing, and it makes me think that Jesus is calling his disciples. When he calls them, he says, I'll make you fishers of men, fishers of women. And now he says, now go to the house of fishing. But he says, go to the house without me. And they're like, sweet, we're going to do it. But they begin to struggle. And it makes me think that when we are called to be followers of Jesus and now to share the gospel with others, sometimes we, we accept the salvation that Jesus gives us, but now to live it out, we're like, ah, okay, we, whatever. We don't really need you right now. We don't need you in our lives right now. We thank you for salvation. I've got it from here. And then we struggle with figuring out how to share our faith. I'm like, I just don't know. I don't know what the words to say. I'm not a Bible scholar. I, I, I can't really share my faith. I don't know what it looks like. Well, maybe because you're trying to get in the boat and leave Jesus on the shore. And you miss the fact that when Jesus calls you to the house of fishing, that he's supposed to be in the boat with you. And when he's in the boat with you, he gives you the words to speak. He gives you the boldness. He gives you the, his spirit to tell others about him. And a lot of times in life, we thank Jesus for his salvation. And then we're like, okay, I'm good. I'm, not, I'm no longer bound by sin, but now I want to live my life the way I want to live it. But Jesus has got to be in the boat the whole way, the whole time, or else you're going to struggle against the storms of life. And so Jesus picks up verse 46. It says this, after he had taken his leave, he went up to the mountain to pray. Anytime you see the mountain, a mountain in Mark, it's a meeting place with God. So Jesus went to meet with God, his father, and to pray. And it says, verse 47, And the evening came, and the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by. Now, if you don't have context, that last sentence should be very confusing for you. Because Jesus sees the disciples struggling He's like, oh, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out to meet him. He's walking on the water and he plans to pass them by. That should be confusing, yes? 
Well, Mark is trying to reveal something to us about who Jesus is. That's the whole, the whole purpose of the gospel. He's trying to say, this is who Jesus is. And when we see Jesus walking on the water, that's the first miracle. That should be our, our first hint. Not to mention all the other hints that he already mentioned in, in chapter 6 about relating to the Old Testament God. But in the Old Testament, God oftentimes was hovering or walking or coming on the waters. We even see it on Genesis from the very beginning. Genesis 1, 2, it says, And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Yeah. Nodding to the fact that Jesus was in the beginning as well. And he comes walking on the waters. Or one of my personal favorites, Psalm 29, 3, uh, reading from the New American Standard Bible, says this, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, and the glory of God thunders. The Lord is over many waters. In John's gospel, he says in the very beginning was the word. The word was with the God. The word was God. And the word is in the voice of God. So when the voice is upon the water, then the word is also upon the water, signifying Jesus, the word of God in the flesh, walking upon the water. Just a nod to what God has done already in the Old Testament, and connecting him to the New Testament, saying, I am still the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and I want you to know who I am. So he was again giving these revelation to who to his disciples and also Mark's audience and us as the readers can pick up on these clues of what Jesus was doing. Beyond that, there's this saying that she says, and coming back to that portion of saying where he meant to pass them by, that also is connected to the Old Testament story when God's interaction with the nation of Israel and with Moses in particular, when Moses says to God in Exodus 33, God, show me your glory. God, let me know you. I want to see you. I want to see you in your fullness. And God says, you can't, you can't handle it. Your body could not handle my full glory. You would die instantly. You just couldn't do it. But I have an idea. Verse 22 says, what I'll do is I will pass before you. And as I pass before you, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock until I have passed by. And then you will see the glory, the residue of my glory as I pass you by. See, Mark is writing about Jesus that he wasn't trying to go walk out to the disciples and then pass them by and say, figure it out on your own. You left me on the shore. You idiots. You should have waited for me. That wasn't what he was trying to do. Actually, in fact, in the middle of the storm, he sought to pass them by, not to abandon them, but so they would see his glory. And it's a nod, Mark is saying, to the God whose glory is so intense that if he chose to reveal it to us, we would die because we couldn't handle it. But, but he seeks to pass us by just so the residue of his glory could stay with us. And this is what Mark was trying to reveal to us in the gospel that God wants to reveal his glory to his people, even in the middle of storms and struggle. That maybe this morning you're in the middle of a storm or a struggle and you think you're all alone in it. But God is wanting to reveal his glory to you. Not to pass you by or to abandon you or to leave you alone. Because oftentimes in the middle of the storm we feel like God has abandoned us. That God can no longer hear us. That our prayers hit the ceiling and bounce back. That it becomes meaningless and unfruitful. But God is saying, in the middle of the storm, I'm not, I'm not abandoning you. I'm walking to you. I'm coming upon the waters, and I seek to, to, to show you, to demonstrate my glory in your life. This is what he's wanting to do. Mark is wanting us to see who Jesus is, that 
He's all-powerful. This almighty God that we read about in the Old Testament is, is in this Jesus who is fully God and fully man, the Son, the Son of God. And verse 49 says this, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. I love that Mark put that in there. They all saw him. Because, you know, sometimes if you think you're losing your mind, you're the, you, you're the only one who sees something crazy. And then you look at your friends, you go, did you see that? And they're like, man, what are you talking about? Right? But it gets, it gets a little freaky when you're like, did you see that? And they're like, we saw that. You saw that? I thought it was just me. And they start losing it. They're like, it's, it's a ghost. They're, they're, they're terrified. When everybody sees the scary thing, everybody is afraid, right? It's like, I thought I was just losing my mind, but I guess we're all losing our minds. This is reality, right? So they're terrified because they all checked in with each other, like grabbing each other. Do you see what I see? And they're afraid. But immediately he spoke to them because Jesus wants to confront your fear quickly. He wants to, when you're terrified and afraid, if you would, if you would cry out to him, he wants to respond quickly because he has not given you a spirit of fear. Fear is not from the Lord. Anytime that you fear, fear, feel fear in your life or you feel it sitting on you, you're afraid, know that that's not from God. And you can tell it, get out of here. I only accept good gifts from my father and you're not from my father. So get out of my room. I taught my son, three years old, he likes to either, whether, whether he's afraid or not, or just doesn't want to go to bed, he always will run back into it. Daddy, I'm scared of the dark. I'm like, where did you get that accent? I don't even know. Where did that come from? I'm scared daddy, of the dark. Okay. He'll tell me that. So we taught him this saying, say, get out fear. Jesus is here. Get out fear. And then he'll be like, oh, yeah. And what I'll do, too, is sometimes I'll be like, you want some of my bravery? I'll give you some of my bravery. I could have said courage, but I thought bravery sounded better. So I would do this little thing. I'm like, I'm, I'm calling the bravery up, you know. I take it, and sometimes I'll do it with one. He's like, give me two hands, Daddy. He, want, he, doesn't, want, he doesn't want just the one hand. He'll say, give me two hands. So, so and I'll just shake it, and I'll shake him. He's like, oh, I felt it, Daddy. <laughs> and some, sometimes... Sometimes I feel like the Lord is wanting us to come to him and say, I'm afraid. Give me some of your bravery. Not just one hand, Daddy. Give me two hands of it. And I want to feel it. Right? Because, he, because fear is, is, will stop us from seeing who Jesus is. And, and Jesus wanted to confront their fear on the water so that he would reveal himself to them. And, and, and he's wanting us to see him for who he is. So it says immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And if all the other nods of the Old Testament were not enough, this is the biggest reference to the Old Testament God that there is, that there could ever be. And the reason we have a hard time seeing it is because I think we translate the passage incorrectly. Or not necessarily incorrectly, but I think even in translation, we something falls off. Because really, when you look at the original language, he says, take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Not only just it is I, right? Oh, don't worry, guys, just me. No, God who comes upon the waters, who comes in the glory of who he is to seek to reveal his glory to you in the middle of the storm says, I am. Do not be afraid. I am. Which is exactly what God of the universe said when he revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush 
But he says, I want to send you to my people to deliver them. And Moses says, when I go and they ask me who has sent me, who should I say has sent me? And God says, say that I am has sent you. I am that I am has sent you. I am the one who is complete in myself. I am everything that you need and more. I am this God, Yahweh. So if Mark, instead of writing in Greek, had written in Hebrew, it would have said, Take heart, Yahweh, do not be afraid. I am with you. I am here with you. I come with you in the middle of your storm of life. In the struggle that you're in, I am beside you. I am dwelling with you. I am everything that you need. Jesus is fully God. Fully God. And he has come and he has given his life so that you can know him and walk with him and embrace him for all that he is and all that he wants to do in your life. All these things in chapter 6 add up to understand a, a better understanding and a fuller knowledge of the revelation that Jesus is God. And in verse, 40, uh, verse 51 it says this, And he got into the boat with them, thank the Lord, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. But here's an interesting verse, Mark puts it, they were utterly astounded, not because Jesus came and walked to them on the water, but he says, for they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Mark, what are you talking about? I don't. Mark, you could have just said, and they were astounded, period, right? End of chapter, let's move on, because we understand, we would understand why they were astounded, because they just saw Jesus walking on water. That's, I mean, I would be astounded. By that, right? But Mark is alluding to the fact that he had just fed the 5,000 and they didn't comprehend it. And that's why their hearts were hardened. That's why they were astonished. Why did Mark decide to put that in there? Why did Mark decide to tell us, well, the reason why they're astounded is because they missed it about the loaves. I think it's because that in that miracle, Jesus was showing them who he was. I am the God who feeds the masses. I am the God who provides bread from heaven. I am the one that you've been looking for. And they didn't catch it. And so then he had to demonstrate again to them who he was. He's the God who provides for all your needs. He's the one who is with you. And yet they see God coming and they don't recognize him. I think how many times has God revealed himself to us and we failed to recognize him? How many times has God delivered you and provided for us and opened up doors when no door should have been opened or reached out and saved that family member who we thought was so far gone or delivered us from addiction and drug abuse. And we, we still think, uh, where is God in this moment? And he's saying, is your heart so hard because you didn't recognize me back then? The faithfulness of God, though, is that he still will come to you even in the middle of your storms, even if your heart was hard because of the lobes before because of the miracles before, if you missed it, he still wants to reveal himself to you today. How many times has God provided for us or come to us in the middle of our storms before we'll recognize who he is and remain faithful to him? How many times will we refuse to follow him and love him and remain faithful to him in pursuit of what we find is most appealing to us or most desirable to our own selves? How many times will we choose other things other than God? My prayer that our hearts this morning would not be hard towards Jesus.
because he is God and he comes to us today. Will we recognize him for who he is or will we remain scared and afraid? I believe that God wants to reveal himself to you today. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, he wants to reveal who he is to your life today. He wants to come to you in the middle of your life, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your struggle, and say, I am the God that you need. I am that I am. I'm the one that you've been looking for. Or even if you are a follower of Jesus, he wants to reveal more of himself to you today because there is so much more of God. And I pray that we would continue to have a hunger for who he is and a hunger for his presence and that we would not be those people who say, okay, I'm saved. Now I got it from here. Okay, God, you did what you need to do. Now I'm just going to go do my own thing. I pray that we would not have hearts like that, but that we would have hearts to say, Jesus, come to me now. Holy Spirit, come to me now. Reveal who you are to me. I want to be in your presence because in your presence, there's freedom. In your presence, there is joy. In your presence, there is life forevermore. It's in his presence. Amen. I think too, far too many Christians are wrestling with anxiety and worry and depression and a lack of life and a lack of joy. And I think the solution is being in presence. I really believe it. I, I believe that, you know, if we're struggling with clinical things and I think that Physicians and doctors and medicine is all helpful and healthy, and we need to do that. But I, I would also encourage you to find time to be in his presence and see what God will do in the midst uh, of your struggle, in the midst of your storm. Perhaps maybe he will jump into your boat, and the, and the wind and the waves will cease, and you'll have clarity of mind and joy and life in him.